Welcome to Decisive Point, a U.S. Army War College Press production featuring distinguished authors and contributors who get to the heart of the matter in national security affairs. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the podcast guests and are not necessarily those of the Department of the Army, the U.S. Army War College, or any other agency of the U.S. government. Decisive Point welcomes Colonel Jairar Armakanyan, author of A Failure to Innovate, The Second Nagorno-Karabakh War, featured in the spring 2022 issue of Parameters. Armakanyan is currently a PhD candidate at the Department of National Security Affairs at the Naval Postgraduate School. He was the head of the Defense Policy Planning Branch of the Defense Policy Department at the Ministry of Defense of Armenia. Thank you for joining me today. I appreciate you taking time. Your article says the main reason for the defeat of the Armenian forces in the Second Nagorno-Karabakh War was their failure to carry out major innovation in military doctrine and adapt to the changed character of war. Please set the stage and give our listeners some background. Thank you, Stephanie. The Second Nagorno-Karabakh War started by Azerbaijan against the unrecognized Republic of Nagorno-Karabakh, started on the 27th of September 2020 and concluded on November 9 of the same year with defeat of Armenian forces. On material side, force correlation was hugely against the Armenian side, both in terms of personnel and material. Another deciding factor was technological advantage of Azerbaijan against Armenian opponent, especially UAVs, drones, on the first glance plate an important role in inflicting losses on Armenian equipment, personnel. On a closer look, it turns out that the legacy doctrine inherited from Soviet Union was the main cause of Armenian side's defeat. The doctrine based on attritional fight against the opponent who launched conventional attack. So instead of opting for more mobile defense or defense in depth, or at least some kind of unconventional fight, asymmetrical fight, which is better option for inferior side, Armenian side just accepted the gauntlet thrown by Azerbaijan and accepted the terms of conventional combined arms warfare in which they practically didn't stand any chance of success. And failure to carry out major innovation is another important reason for defeat. So because doctrine was flawed from the outset, it could be changed during peace dividend of some quarter century, but Armenian side failed to carry out major innovation. You offered a case study of military innovation in Armenia. Can you share this with us? There are different schools of thought. One school of thought maintains that innovation should be spurred by civilians. It says that if left to their own devices, militaries as entrenched organizations are not that keen to innovate, to change their usual ways of doing business. Another school of thought says that it is militaries themselves, not civilians, who should develop innovative ideas from within themselves. And all civilians can do is to support, to back up those reform-minded militaries through providing fast-track promotion pathways for them. 
another important argument is that everything depends on domestic political institutions and actually militaries respond to the interference by civilians. If civilians are able to consolidate militaries in their quest for innovation, militaries will not be able to exploit the divisions among civilian organizations. So it boils down to the political structure of the country. Another important idea is that there are two different opinions. One is that innovation should be top-down process. Another is that it is usually bottom-up. But scholars agree that usually during peacetime, innovation will necessarily be top-down process driven by higher echelons in command, whereas in wartime, it will come from units who have been given leeway to pursue or to come up with their decentralized ideas. So in the case of Armenia, it had necessarily to be top-down process because it was peacetime innovation and a scholarship agrees that during peacetime, especially in defensive wars, civilians have greater say because one faces less uncertainties in defensive war and civilians have greater interest into meddling into military affairs because war is going to be waged on your own territory. Armenian side enjoyed 26 years, more than quarter century of peace dividend, and it was evident from the beginning, especially since 2005, when Azerbaijan started to reap great incomes from selling oil and natural gas to international markets, that, that balance of forces was getting disrupted, not only in terms of material resources, but also demographically. Armenia had about 3 million people, whereas Azerbaijan had a population of almost 10 million. So something had to be done. But if one looks at resource allocation, one comes up with natural question whether Armenian authorities were serious about defense. Because if you compare defense expenditures, you see that two countries spend equal amounts of their GDP gross domestic product on defense. Whereas Armenia, which was status quo power and was facing an enemy with manifest bellicosity, open announcements of eagerness to find forceful solution to the conflict, Armenia had to spend more. This is an important idea. As for innovation proper, innovation should come from paradigm change in military thinking and with emergence of novel theory of victory. This paradigm change can come about either through discovery, which is more gradual process when you become gradually aware of the problems, then you reluctantly embrace the new reality and try to find some solutions. Another option is more abrupt realization of the problem that in the theory of scientific research is called invention. Invention comes in the wake of some crisis in normal mode of operandi or we can call it of ways of doing business. Armenian side was exposed to both options of changing its paradigm. I mean, new thinking about military doctrine and new ways to reform it. Starting since about 2006, 2007, when Armenia was working closely with NATO and uh, with the United States, Armenia launched military reform program, conducted two successful cycles of strategic defense review 
which is akin to quadrennial defense review here in the United States, and came up with some clear findings which hold that Armenian military doctrine is obsolete. So being outgunned and outmanned, Armenian army had no chance to withstand a larger onslaught by Azerbaijani adversaries. So something had to be done both in human resource management, in resource allocations, in operational art, tactics. One important area where new paradigm could arrive was in the realm of command and control where Armenia was working, assisted by Western advisors, on introducing command and control philosophy of mission command, whereby troops, troop commanders at lower echelons would have greater leeway to exploit fleeting opportunities and would be able to better conduct decentralized operations against the heavier opponent. But all these attempts came to nothing because Armenian general staff, which was composed of patriotic officers on their own right, but held deeply entrenched ideas, and most of uh, top-level officers shared the same background. They were participants of the first Nagorno-Karabakh war, 1992-1994, and all were graduates of the Russian Armed Forces War College. So general staff was able to erect unified front against reform agenda. So general staff, in comparison with the civilian side of the equation, enjoyed greater integrity. Another chance for paradigm change was through invention, as I mentioned before. So there was a crisis which could have spurred that invasion crisis, materialized in April 2016 in the so-called Four Days War, when Azerbaijan launched an attack along the entire perimeter of the line of contact. Both sides had great fatalities, and Azerbaijan utilized combat drones capability and the deficiencies of Armenian side were very manifest in air defense, in active reactive, in the absence of active reactive armor or tanks in the areas of command control. But Armenian authorities didn't learn the lessons. They thought that it was another attempt by Azerbaijani side to conduct some special operations forces operation in larger scale, but they didn't come to realize that the April war was just dress rehearsal of Azerbaijani larger offensive to be launched after a couple of years. So lessons were ignored, and instead of directing military acquisition efforts toward more like combat aviation, more other branches, Armenian side continued to rely on obsolete and cumbersome so-called defensive areas, whereby troops were positioned tightly upfront along the perimeter of defense with not much rear defense left, no plans for maneuver. So they are good at trying to repel the initial attack along the forward edge of battle area. But once some gaps open up in your perimeter, you are no longer able to fall back. You are not longer able to conduct maneuver warfare. These shortcomings materialized in the fight against the strategically important town of Shushi, which was historical capital of Nagorno-Karabakh. And, you know, our Armenian forces were fighting valiantly, were fighting quite well during the initial one or two weeks. They were holding tight. 
along the perimeter, but it was attritional fight and they had no chance. So once Azerbaijan succeeded in forcing through the defenses, in opening the gap, Armenian side had no plans, had no fortifications to fall back, to conduct defense in depth, not to speak of maneuver defense. And most of the time it was just withdrawal. In most of the cases, not well organized. Armenian troops had chances to defend in the depth of Nagorno-Karabakh territory around city of Shushi because it was mountainous area down there and Azerbaijan could not utilize its advantage in UAVs because of weather and armor. And some analysts were thinking that eventually the war will drive to standstill because geography changed and the smaller Armenian forces with the better knowledge of the terrain will be able to hold on. But here came Azerbaijani special operations forces, light composite units, well prepared in Turkey and it means using NATO doctrine, which penetrated small seams in Armenian defenses. And whereas Armenians were thinking that without artillery support, without support of armored vehicles and especially UAVs, Azerbaijan wouldn't be able to come closer to the outskirts of the city. It was exactly what happened and the Armenian side was taken by surprise. The fighting for the city continued for several days. city changed hands at least twice. Both sides incurred heavy losses, but eventually the Armenian side had to abandon the city and the very next day Armenia agreed to the terms of ceasefire broker with Russia and lost significant territories and the war came to an end. Where to from here? Can you share your final thoughts on this with us? It turns out that the civil-military relations matter. The main problem with lack of innovation was once again entrenched interests of the general staff, their way of thinking in terms of military doctrine, in terms of way of war and the theory of victory. And because army was such a valued creature, such a cherished creature in Armenian statehood, state authorities, political leadership largely deferred to military opinion. So main takeaway from this analysis is that military reform and military innovation is very context specific. You can not easily make generalizations and guess that this or that country has greater chances of success because there are so many variables to take into account. And second is that only when there is a unity of effort among military and civilian sides of equation, military reform and innovation will result in success. So domestic political institutions matter as do what I called civil military committee. Another important variable is whether the country is status quo or anti-status quo country. And a rather counterintuitive finding is in the article is that on the first glance, countries facing great danger or countries on the brink of war should be more interested, more inclined to effect dramatic changes in their military ways of doing business. But counterintuitive finding is that 
the more country is imperiled, the less reluctant it is to change. The country understands there is a general awareness that something is wrong, something has to be done. But every time you put this reform effort on the back burner, you are telling yourself, okay, I will come to that later when situation comes down. But you don't realize that it's not going to calm down. The sooner you do dramatic change, the better for you. This is my main findings. I know you had to get up really early to do this with me. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Stephanie, for this opportunity. Greatly appreciate that. Listeners, if you're interested in digging deeper into this topic, check out the article for more details about the timeline and events of the Second Nagorno-Karabakh War, as well as an even more in-depth analysis from the author. You can find it at press.armywarcollege.edu slash parameters. Look for Volume 52, Issue 1. If you enjoyed this episode of Decisive Point and would like to hear more, look for us on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and any other major podcast platform.